Hello again, and welcome to this ninth Bible study about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come today to the contested matter of the millennium. Some of you have probably never had any teaching in church on this subject whatsoever, and you know nothing about it, and others have very firm views. Can I encourage us all that in primary truths we must show unity, in secondary truths we must show liberty, and in all things we show charity. Your salvation does not depend upon what you believe about the second coming of Jesus. It is a secondary matter. And since Bible scholars throughout the years have understood these teachings in slightly different ways, I'm sure we're going to have some different views upon this as well. In all things, charity. The millennium refers to the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we bumped into it last time when we were talking about Armageddon and the beast and the false prophet being thrown into hell and then there was a thousand-year interval and then the dragon himself decided to fight God and also ended up in the fiery lake. Now, broadly, there are three views about the millennium. There are amillennialists, pre-millennialists and post millennialists. Please forgive me if I say amill, pre-mill and post-mill. It's such a mouthful. I remember hearing the story of a, a, a Bible teacher, I think from the United States, who was asked to go to Belfast to teach on this subject. And uh, he, he landed at the airport and came down the steps of the aircraft to be greeted by elders from the church who were pleased to see him. And one of their first questions was, are you an A-mill a pre-mill or a post-mill? And he said, I've just had a long journey. I'm suffering from jet lag. I really just need to relax a bit. That really is a preposterous question. Well, I'm going to ask you to set aside what you think you know about these thousand years and with me go back to the Bible to the only place where it is referred to. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient snake, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years." 
When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. In this passage, four names are given for the evil one. The dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. The word Satan means the accuser or the adversary. And then we're told that Satan is constrained for a thousand years in the abyss. Do you remember when Jesus went to, uh, across the Lake Galilee uh, and he had the incident with the Gadarene pigs? Do you remember two men were possessed with evil spirits? Legion was one of them. And the evil spirit speaking to Jesus said, um, they begged Jesus not to order them to go into the abyss. They knew that the abyss was their destination. And while there in the abyss, Satan was unable to deceive the nations for a thousand years. And then John saw judgment thrones and the souls of beheaded martyrs, probably representing all the martyrs, and those who had been not been marked by the beast on their hands and on their foreheads. Now you remember we've looked at the mark of the beast. It's not a tattoo on your face or on your hands. It's what you think and what you do. Do you remember the boy with his phylacteries who had the word of God controlling his mind and the word of God controlling his behaviour? Some people, their minds and their behaviours are controlled by the evil one. But others aren't because their names are in the Lamb's book of life. And those who would not worship the dragon, they were here um, during the, this millennial period. They're resurrected, they're raised from the dead, and they reign as priests for a thousand years with Christ. And then Satan is released, and he recruits help from Gog and Magog, and resumes deceiving the nations. Now, we read about Gog and Magog in Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. And you may remember, pastor's been teaching us recently about what happened between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. And one of the things that happened was God's people were under attack. Who from? Gog and Magog. They are symbolic of God's enemies, the enemies of God's people. Gog is the field marshal. Magog is his armies. And so Satan recruits soldiers, fighting people, uh, who will surround God's people. And, and fight against the kingdom of God. And then God sends fire to devour them, and the devil joins the two beasts in the lake of burning sulphur. Now what then are we, are we to make of all of this? Let's bear in mind first what Peter said in 2 Peter. Will the, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So we're warned already this thousand-year period could be symbolic or could be literal. In the year AD 1000 in England, the king was Ethelred the Unready. And during his reign, 
millennium fever was at its high pitch in England because everybody's thinking, oh, it's a thousand years since Jesus was here. Any moment now, he may return. And there was great excitement. Nothing happened. In 1016, Ethelred died. And then in 1066, England was invaded from France by the Normans. They'd all got it so wrong. Let's go back to these verses. It says four things about the thousand years. Firstly, it says Satan will be constrained for a thousand years, verse 2. Secondly, it says the nations will no longer be deceived during those thousand years, verse 3. Thirdly, it says the resurrected martyrs and those who weren't marked with the mark of the beast will reign with Christ for a thousand years, verse 4. And then fourthly, it says, the resurrected martyrs and the others will serve God as priests for a thousand years, verse 6. I'm going to reduce the interpretations of this thousand-year period to two. And here's the first. One interpretation is that the thousand years are spiritual and they are symbolic. They are symbolic of the gospel age. They symbolise the church age which we are in now. A-mills and post-mills believe we are already in the millennium, the thousand-year period, because Jesus conquered and constrained the devil at the cross. Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, Paul says in Colossians. Jesus said that he would bind the strong man in order that he might plunder his goods. Jesus conquered and constrained the devil at the cross and by resurrection. Since then, the gospel has been spreading all over the world. It's not just a few godly Jews in Israel who know, know God, but people in every continent follow Jesus. You can go to Asia, to America, to Africa, to Europe, whichever continent you go to, you will find believers in the Lord Jesus. By and large, the nations have been undeceived and you will find the church wherever you go. And then since the ascension, Jesus has been reigning with his saints. It says so in Ephesians chapter 2. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Revelation 3. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And fourthly, Christians are priests. Revelation chapter 1. Christ has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. 1 Peter chapter 2. You also are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What I've been describe, describing there is the amillennial or postmillennial understanding of Jesus and his return that Jesus will return at the end of the thousand years. The big difference between an A-mill and a post-mill is this. A-mills are pessimistic about the future. They believe society is going to become more and more rebellious, more and more sinful, and things are going to get worse and worse. 
Post-mills are looking forward to future revival. They believe the church is going to expand and grow and be increasingly effective and Jesus will return to a triumphant church. And that teaching was very popular in the time of Queen Victoria when Britain ruled the waves. And the British Empire, well, the sun never set on the British Empire. And it was obvious to everyone that the gospel was spreading throughout the world. And the post-mill understanding of Jesus' return was correct. Let me show you this diagram which seeks to show this teaching. You can see here on the left the church age in which we are today. And the church age will last for a thousand years, symbolically. It's already gone on for over 2,000 years. It's a symbolic number. With God, a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand years. And then the day will come when Christ will return and everybody will be raised from the dead and the final judgment which will, will take place, which we heard of in an earlier talk. And then when the final judgment has taken place, the eternal state will set in, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'll comment on the red arrow a little later. But that seeks to set out the amill and the post-mill understanding of the millennium. And some leading Christians have embraced this view. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, all broadly embrace the amill or the post-mill understanding of the millennium. I want to critique it. When you look at today's world, and you see it's atheism, it's materialism, it's dictatorships, it's persecution, it's lawlessness, it's pointless wars, it's immorality, it's defiance of God and Jesus Christ and the growth of aggressive Islam. It's hard to say Satan is locked and sealed and kept in an abyss from deceiving the nations. It's much easier to say with 1 Peter chapter 5, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In my opinion, and it is only my opinion, the devil is very much at loose. The devil is very much at large and is prowling around looking for destruction. It's hard to understand in our day, the devil is locked and sealed and kept from deceiving the nations. Broadly speaking, the other view about the Lord's thousand-year reign is the pre-mill view, in which the thousand years are literal and they are physical and they are future. At the When Jesus returns, Jesus will be confined in the abyss for a thousand years, he will be unable to deceive the nations for that time. All believers will be res resurrected when Jesus comes back. They will reign with Christ on earth as kingly priests, as priestly kings. And then at the end of the thousand years, the unbelievers will be resurrected and the final judgment will take place. 
this diagram is a little more complex than one that I showed you before. It shows you the church age on the left, where we are now. The church age will end with the, resurrection, with the return of Jesus and the resurrection of believers. And then will come the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth with us. Then at the end of those thousand years, a literal thousand years, will come the final judgments. All the unbelievers will be raised from the dead. And then will come the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. Again, I'll come back to the red arrows later. The early church fathers embraced this view. Some did, Papias, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr and Tertullian. I'd like you to cast your mind back to the second of these talks when we referred to Old Testament jigsaw puzzle pieces which were hard to fit. Let me remind you of some of them. Jacob said the scepter will not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Psalm 2, I will make the nations your inheritance. You will rule them with an iron scepter. Psalm 9, he will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people with justice. Those prophecies could well fall into the millennium, the thousand-year period. Isaiah said the government will be upon his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne. And let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. They would fit beautifully within the millennium period, wouldn't they? Ezekiel talked about a new temple being filled with the Shekinah glory of God. Herod's rebuilt temple never was filled with the glory of God. Ezekiel said a new temple would be built, built filled with his glory. And then Micah. Listen to wonderful things that Micah had to say. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go up from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will be afraid of them, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations will walk, may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What a beautiful time 
when there will be peace and harmony and tanks will be turned into tractors. And the pre-mills place those lovely prophecies here in that thousand-year period. And they may be right. They may not be right. There will be a time when Jesus will rule over all the nations, a time of peace and prosperity and righteousness, a time of harmony in nature and between peoples, when the worship of Yahweh will be exclusive and Jesus will be worshipped, but does it necessarily fall into the millennium period? Could it not also fall into the time of the new heaven and the new earth? Maybe it falls into the eternal state when Jesus will rule firmly and effectively and righteously and forever and there will be harmony in nature. Wolves will lie down with lambs, leopards with goats, cows with bears and children will play with poisonous cobras who will not harm them. They will not harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is it in the millennium? Or is it in the new heavens and in the new earth? When is it that tanks will be turned into tractors? When is it? What about this new temple? Is it going to be a physical rebuilding of a temple? Or, as Peter says in his letter, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession. Is it now? Is it in the millennium? Or is it in the final heaven? This blissful, idyllic state. In the thousand years? Or after the thousand years? I'll tell you. In my opinion, this has not been revealed to us. That is why equally devout men and women and knowledgeable men and women study their Bibles and they read it rather differently. A-mill, pre-mill, post-mill. If it had been clearly revealed to us, there would be much more agreement between us. In my opinion, it is a matter of interpretation, and some are convinced one way, and some are convinced another way. No one can point to a definite scripture and say, ah, look, that wonderful environment will definitely take place during the millennium or that beautiful environment will definitely take place in the new heaven and the new earth. In my opinion, that has not been clearly revealed. Remember, in primary truths, we embrace unity. In secondary truths, we embrace liberty and in all things, charity. Finally, do you remember Jesus said there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the war world until now? And Paul said that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and what holds it back will be taken out of the way. And the book of Revelation talks about a great multitude of Christians uh, who have come out of the great tribulation. We haven't as yet talked about the great tribulation. If you look at the red arrow, the GT there is for great tribulation. And if you're an Amil, 
or a post-mill, then you will believe that the Great Tribulation will come at the end of the thousand-year period, the church age, the gospel age. The Great Tribulation will come towards the end of our times. But if you're a pre-mill, you will see that the Great Tribulation comes before the millennium. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because some pre-mills believe the tribulate that some pre-mills believe that Jesus will return before the Great Tribulation. Some believe he will return during the Great Tribulation, and some believe he will return at the end of the Great Tribulation. In other words, some people think Christians will escape it altogether. Some people believe that Christians will endure the whole of the Great Tribulation, and others believe that Christians will experience a half of the Great Tribulation. That's why it says times three in red by that red arrow. You see, our interpretations of the millennium and the tribulation are becoming more and more complex, and we are becoming more and more divided as to how we see the future unfolding. When all is said and done, does it really matter? We know there is to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. We've been warned in the Bible time and time again that we have to face trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Does it really matter that we understand precisely when these things are going to take place. What matters is world evangelization. What matters is the way we are living our lives to build the kingdom of Christ now while we can. Pastor Dave used to have a cartoon in his office. And it was a picture of Jesus. And it said, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Now, it was a joke. We understand that. But there was a powerful point behind it. Jesus is coming back. Therefore, we should be busy building his kingdom. Whether the kingdom, whether the millennium's now or future, whether tribulation is now or future, whether Jesus is going to return before it or in the middle of it or at the end of the tribulation, it doesn't really matter. What does matter is world evangelization and being busy for the kingdom of God. In 1893, there was a man called James Milton Black. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he noticed one child missing from his class, and he went to visit that child at home. The child had pneumonia. And James Milton Black became haunted by the idea that somebody he knew and loved wouldn't be there on the day that Jesus returned. And he wrote, he wrote a famous song, a famous hymn. And the last verse goes like this. Let us labour for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then, when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, 
will be there. When the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll is caught up yonder, we'll be there. Thank God and praise him for his grace and work hard for the growth of his kingdom. Amen. And thank you for watching.